welcome to the Big Kids Book Club. A podcast about all things fictional, from middle grade to young adult. So sit back, relax and enjoy the show. Hey, 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 welcome back to another episode of the Big Kids Book Club. My name is Marcus, I'm your host, and joining me on the show today, we have the author of many YA sci-fi thrillers, Quiet the End of the World, The Loneliest Girl in the Universe, and the new sci-fi novellas, The Starlight Watchmaker, and The Deep Sea Duke. Lauren James, welcome to the show. Hello, I'm so excited to be joining you today. Oh, no, thank you. It's uh, We were just sort of talking before the show, it's a bit weird in this whole lockdown sort of universe we're in, but... Uh, hopefully we're going to have a great show today and uh, why don't we kick it off by uh, getting to know you a little bit better we do this with all our new authors so you want to tell us a little bit about how you got into writing and your sort of journey to where you are now yeah so I never really intended to become a writer I was always a big reader but my goal was to become a scientist so I went to uni and I studied chemistry and physics and while I was there I was just writing for fun Uh, and by the time I finished my third year of uni I'd somehow written a whole novel over the summer holidays like starting as a NaNoWriMo project and then kind of growing from there and once it was done I was just really proud of it even though it probably was really terrible I know it was way too long uh, and it was not well written and there were plot holes and just really bad jokes but I was really proud of it so I kind of sent it off to some agents not knowing much about the publishing industry beyond the fact that that's what you do first Uh, and I was very lucky in that an agent wrote back and said that she liked it but it had a lot of issues so she gave me some kind of I think it was about eight or nine pages full of notes on things I needed changing so I spent um, a bit of time in my last year of uni editing it and sent it back and she offered to represent me so uh, after that revise and resubmit process to her I had representation and she sent it off to some publishers and within two weeks we got two different offers so it went really fast even though I found it very stressful and it felt like it took an eternity and I was checking my phone constantly for updates but I got really lucky in that I got to talk to two different editors and choose which one of them I liked best and my first novel that I ever wrote ended up getting published as the next together um, so since then that was kind of like a romancy, time travelly mix of sci-fi and historical so I kind of covered all possible genres with that which was great because it now means that going forward I can pick anything I like out of all those things and say that it, I'm still sticking to the same kind of area as an author so since then I've written uh, some books about space uh, some more books about time travel stuff books about ghosts books about human extinction and robots and uh, the latest ones I've written are a series of novellas about aliens and robots so I've been having a lot of fun diving around different areas of sci-fi and fantasy uh, within the YA world yeah but it does seem that you, you mentioned actually something interesting there that you sort of did this while you were studying quite a scientific topic at university and it has to be said that a lot of them I know you said you had a wide ranging sort of genre sort of output but there does there does definitely seem to be a sort of like a, a yearning that goes back to a very strong scientific core to all your novels and I wonder if it is that that yearning that you sort of growing up wanting to becoming a scientist has sort of almost interwoven itself into your sort of writing matrix 
Yeah, definitely. I definitely respond as a reader best to stories where there is a kind of analytical understanding behind the plot. So it's not all completely fantastical, but it's got some basis in real facts and truth. And that's always where I start with my plots as well. Like, even if I'm writing about something like ghosts, I want to know scientifically, what is the physics behind this? Where are they getting this energy from? And how is that going to be built into the world so that it feels really like if ghosts were real, this could actually happen. So I definitely use that kind of scientific basis in my writing and um, my next book is about climate change and that's something that's really come in handy is having that kind of scientific understanding which is something that I didn't realize when I was doing my degree I was like this might not be useful if I don't do chemistry as a degree as a career but actually even if you don't do something like that having your brain trained so that you know the kind of core basics of how science works helps you then research all these other areas from scratch and kind of know how to understand them in a way which is I found really useful so yeah it's definitely something that I wouldn't change even knowing that I ended up going into writing I would still have done a science degree and carried on the way I did yeah absolutely and I think like you say it's so lovely when you have all that sort of like that that stuff behind because it makes the rest of it so much more real if you actually go behind actually delve maybe delve a little deeper scratch a little bit beneath the surface and so we're going to scratch a little bit beneath the surface now you've written quite a lot of books so i'm just going to have to unfortunately pick and choose so if we don't mention your favorite book today um don't worry well i'm sure lauren will uh, we'll talk about them another time but i'm going to focus on one that i think really hits home at the moment in our covid sort of universe we're in at the moment and that's obviously got to be the loneliest girl in the universe we're talking about an isolation sort of story here you know Romy is sort of very much pressed into this sort of world which which is I think we can all sort of like appreciate it now but um I wonder if you know when you were writing that because at, at the whole heart of it there is a sort of like a vulnerability that she's having when she's sort of like isolated in that and I wonder if some of the <laughs> I guess now we've all lived a sort of a little bit of isolation whether you can see some of the the core thematics running through it yeah, it's definitely weird rereading that book now um, and seeing like everything that's happening in real life. And also in The Quiet at the End of the World, which is a book about a virus pandemic making humans sterile so they can't conceive anymore. Like I wrote that before COVID and now I'm like, how did I get this so accurate? Everything was spread through social media and there was all these panics and fake news and it's just too, too close to real life. I couldn't have written it now. Um, and I think... That's one of the best things about writing, really, is that even if you get some of the details of a situation wrong, if you're connecting with the character's emotional truths and you're really getting into what it would be like to experience any situation, there's always going to be something that people can relate to there. And Romy's situation is so unique. Uh, she's trapped on a spaceship on her own. She's in charge of this NASA mission. But because she is a real person, and I put a lot of real experiences into her life, everybody can relate to something about that wild experience for themselves. Yeah, especially I think, I mean, we talk about like Romy's obsession with uh, binge watching like Lock and Ness. I think we've all binge watched a couple of TV shows in this pandemic. Definitely. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you, I, I do want to touch upon characters because I think that is something that is very, especially on the next one we talk about, we spoke about the, the quiet at the end of the universe. Um, Lowry and Shen, I mean, again, character development, the depth that went into, I felt even after probably about a couple of chapters in, you know, I really did know these people just from sort of Lowry's description on, on how they grew up. And you can see the the tenderness and the growth that they've gone through. Um, I wonder whether 
that comes from? Because obviously, is that part of that sort of analytical part of your brain putting together these relationships from like day one? Yeah, I think I, I really enjoy thinking about how nature versus nurture affects the way that people grow up. So for my first book, The Next Together, it was about two people who kept being reborn in different lives and they're obviously the same people with the same personalities but the situations they grew up in are very different and I really enjoyed playing with how that would affect them and as they were people and whether they'd kind of be more outspoken if they're in a feminist society compared to a very historical society where women aren't allowed to do that and that's kind of led on a lot into my other books as well with Romy being trapped alone in space and then Larry and Shen being the only two teenagers left in the world without children anymore and being doted on by everyone in this elderly society but not having any peers and so that's always the starting point for me is like what would it be like to grow up like that and how would that change you from how you would be if you'd grown up in normal society and if I can build that into their personalities from the very beginning then that um, leads on to all of their other kind of traits and what they're interested in and hobbies and that really for me is like how you can build out a character who feels like the story could only take place with them in it like I, I want to always to feel like I'm creating unique characters but they wouldn't the story wouldn't work with someone else there so the plot would fall apart if they weren't there driving it because a different character wouldn't do the things that they do and so no, the things wouldn't happen in the way that they do rather than it just feeling like this is the plot let's find someone and slot them neatly in and then it can all roll forward yeah no cookie cutter sort of like inserts here uh, and that's what's actually quite beautiful and i think it's because you've also given them such such human sort of traits as well because it's like they don't just, you know, have uh, an obsession to basically fill the plot, but they actually have their own personal wants and needs. And I think you've done this very nicely through, it's actually kind of interesting, the use of like hobbies and such, because they do feel so much more human. Of course, like Romy is, you know, like the fan fiction and stuff like that, which I think a lot of us are into, especially us in the bookish community. You've got um, stuff like uh, Lowry, who's into stuff like mudlarking and sort of um, scuba diving. I know uh, Shen is quite an accomplished horse rider. They have all these different real human elements to them. They're not just a protagonist, you know, copy-paste protagonist. And I wonder if um, any of your own personal hobbies made their way into some of these characters. Definitely, there's always something in there that like captures my interest. And like, for so for the midlarking thing, I'd never heard of that until I was, I think it was, I was probably really late one night looking around YouTube, and I discovered this this YouTube account. There was just like hour long videos of someone filming the foreshore on the Thames as they looked for stuff and pulling out like coins and washing the dirt off and you seeing like that it's a roman coin or whatever and obviously for most of the time they're just finding rubbish and occasionally they get very excited because they find something that's older than 100 years old and like I, there was something so fascinating for me and very like relaxing about watching these videos and that's kind of what I'm always looking for is what about this is interesting and why am I so interested and how can I show that in like fixation in a character so in the reckless afterlife of harriet stoker my main character harriet is really into like making beauty videos and talking about makeup and that ties into her character because she's like very self-conscious she's not very good at making friends and she likes to have like a mask and it was kind of going into this thing like people use the internet in so many different ways whether that is 
mudlarking or beauty YouTube or fan fiction. And usually that comes down to who they are as people. You can find out a lot about a person from which area of the internet they go to and spend their time in. And I wanted to build that into the story from the beginning because it's such an important part of our lives. And um, I don't see it enough in books where you find out what the characters do online. (laughs) Yeah, and of course you see a lot of like email transaction uh, for like Romy and like the loneliest girl of the world. And then obviously, you know, Larry and Shen, there's lots of references to social media, beautiful use of the the social media, like you say, a little bit too close to home now with the whole, uh, the virus and the sort of fertility virus that they sort of like, they, they are able to sort of like see it. It does make you actually think now, actually like, hang on, like every sort of tweet and post I put up, like what is the context going to be seen in a couple like like decades and hundreds of years time if it's still there if someone could just find it so it's really interesting of that and I wonder how much of that is your own personal fascination because there's a lot of sort of points which point us towards further into humanity obviously we're talking sci-fi here but they're quite grounded they're not we're not talking about sci-fi Star Warsy sci-fi you know that sort of like wild epic space opera we're talking about really real human sci-fi here human advancement human i guess the future of humanity i wonder where that comes from yeah i guess it's always for me about looking at where we are now and saying how can i show something that's really relevant to our lives using a sci-fi setting so it's not about creating an extraordinary world that's beyond our imagining it's kind of about creating a metaphor so for the loneliest girl in the universe it's all about like catfishing online and safety when you're talking to people you don't know on the internet and like it is a sci-fi book but it's about things that are relatable to life today so it's kind of about seeing where we're going to go as a society and how you can comment on that. So for the climate change one I've been talking about that's coming up next, I was thinking a lot about Elon Musk and SpaceX and all of these missions to go to Mars and how they're developing a lot of technology to do that. And it seems like they're looking for an escape from Earth when they should be spending that money on fixing Earth. (laughs) So um, that was kind of where I started from. Like I, I was seeing something that was happening in the world and I came up with a sci-fi world that I could use to talk about that without just writing an essay about SpaceX. That kind of thing is where I start from. And then the worlds build out. And as I come up with more more exciting sci-fi ideas, they might go a bit beyond that and become a story in their own right. But that's always what you want anyway. You want a story that stands up as more than social commentary. But having that element for me is what gives the reader something to think about after they've had finished having a good time with the plot. Absolutely. And that's not to say that you can't make these beautiful far off worlds, because we saw that definitely in the Starlight Watchmaker, we do go a little bit beyond sort of uh, humanity's bound, especially when we're, we're we're really journeying through, I guess, our main POV is sort of Hugo's and he's an android and quite beautiful there. Because, of course, then Dorian comes in, he's an alien. And it's really it's thinking of like ways of of blending this idea of like uh, human stories, but in a non-human setting. So I wonder where some of the inspirations and concepts came for, for this sort of novella. Yeah, so that one was really interesting because um, I'd never written a novella before and I'd never written without any human characters before. So it was really a kind of a test for me, like, can I write a story where you don't have a human protagonist, where everybody is alien in some way? So there's characters who are like clouds of gas or living, moving mountains. Like, it's really, really not based in humanity as we think of like humanoid people. And that was like the main appeal for me of writing it was like, I, I 
I can commit to a crazy idea without having to spend a whole year working on a full length novel. This is something that I can write quite short. Um, so the Barrington Stoke novellas are designed to be dyslexia friendly. So um, their word counts are about 20,000 words or less. And they're designed for teenage readers, but they have a reading age of eight um, and above. So anyone who struggles with reading and um, they they're designed to be very easy for that which meant that I had a nice short word count but I could put lots of challenging concepts in there which is kind of the dream if you want to test run an idea and see where it takes you there's not really much risk there and I loved it I got to throw all of my favorite kind of sci-fi tropes in there I got to do some commentary on like um refugees and climate change and working class and homeless people in society and uh, I got to put some caves in and catacombs which is one of my favorite things I, in lots of my books there's like confined spaces where people have to crawl through and try and escape and just kind of exploring how you can make people care about characters who are nothing like themselves was one of the best parts of those books for me yeah you mentioned there the sort of shortened word count and you sort of dived into it and I wonder if that was there was any change into the writing process for you behind the scenes as it were obviously um you know normally novellas uh, like you say about 20,000 words whereas a novel is about 60 70,000 so you know third of the, the capacity but you're also trying to get still a, a really impactful story in that sort of time scale so uh, or that word scale. So I wondered like, if you had any challenges sort of adapting maybe your writing style. Yeah, I think it definitely had to be really plot focused. So I couldn't get as far with character development as I wanted because you have to resolve a plot. Um, and then that kind of is what the, the main focus has to be. So that's one of the reasons that I was really keen to write the sequel, The Deep Sea Duke, which came out this month. Um, because I was like, I've, I've resolved this plot, but there's still so much character stuff that I want to do that if it had been in a novel, I would have had a chance to do. Um, so I wanted to see what the characters had been up to and pick up where we'd left off and give them kind of a resolution there so I had them kind of go on a road trip kind of thing to visit home over the summer holidays and put them in a different environment that we could explore on this second crazy alien world that was a completely underground ocean underwater ocean planet and um, see how they behave there and so but because the writing has to be quite simple in terms of like the writing style that didn't mean that you have a bit more room for plot because you're keeping the sentences quite short and you're not kind of going off on long tangents where you might talk about the meaning of life which I do in some of my other books so um that was quite useful in terms of really condensing it down to the essentials of the story and it's given me a lot of skills that I've taken away and used in my other novels as well because it just taught me like to really understand why I'm using certain words or why I'm making choices in the text and whether I need to be making those choices or whether I could maybe give the reader a bit of a break here and get on to the next bit that's going to catch their attention. Oh yeah, absolutely. But you actually mentioned there something that takes me on to my next point, which was about characters. Again, something that's very strong in all the books. And you mentioned that you obviously didn't have enough as much space to sort of like flesh them out. It doesn't mean that there's a lack of development there between, especially Hugo and Dorian. Um, and I wonder where maybe some of the the inspiration for that character, both the, those characters came from, because, again, very different from any of the other previous characters that you've sort of really sort of put together before. Yeah. So I always when I'm coming up with characters for the first time, I always think about my favorite characters in fiction or my favorite dynamic between two characters in a relationship in fiction. And the one I was thinking about here was kind of uh, a very exuberant, outgoing kind of very 
chatty and uh, excited and confident character meets a very very shy and anxious character and how they bring them out of their shallow and maybe like change each other and uh, see that kind of development arc over the course of the story from taking them to the very extremes of their characters at the start and then seeing them become slightly both slightly more normal people by the end of the book and it, sometimes like when I say that I'm looking at like what character dynamics I enjoy that can be as simple as I want a Hufflepuff to meet a Slytherin and see what happens um, and then it kind of builds out into real people from there but for me like when I'm reading or watching tv or something it's always about those kind, kind of character dynamics like oh my god I can't wait to see how these two people clash and then come together and find a way to understand each other's points of view and so when I'm writing I want to create that feeling for my readers as well of like you you, you know what's coming and it's going to be amazing when we get there but you're going to have to wait a bit longer before we do that kind of feeling so from that starting point of like shy and anxious meets very excited and confident I was then adding in like all these other layers like so what if one of them is a manservant what if one of them's a duke what if one of them's really rich and one of them's really poor what if one of them is like kind of the privileged life form in this alien society and one of them is the rejected life form maybe that rejected life form is kind of rejected because they are supposed to be a machine and they're supposed to just be a tool and then they've kind of become sentient as an android so it kind of builds in in layers until you get to a point where they feel like a person that could carry a novel <laughs> and then you go from there but yeah I, I really enjoyed creating them especially especially Ada who is the kind of living moving volcano who over time gets larger and larger as she kind of releases rock forms and like leaves them in places and causes a lot of trouble while being like just a very chill cool lady so that was really fun as well. Yeah, I think it's honestly, I love character driven plots and there's just that galore. Um, so, yeah, guys, if you are interested, definitely worth checking out. Like I said, Barrington Soka are amazing publishers and the, the books, like you say, they're so accessible, so, so excitable as well. So uh, you've got the Starlight Watchmaker and the Deep Sea Duke. They're out now available from Barrington Stoke. So that's what we've got already out for you to enjoy. But you've already given us some little tidbits about what is coming up. So let's talk a little bit about like what's in the pipeline for you this climate change book and then anything else on the horizon yeah so um my climate change book is called green rising and that's going to be out in september this year and that is about uh three teenagers who discover that they uh, have magical powers that, that allow them to grow plants from their fingers and they use that to kind of rewild the world and stop corporations committing climate change um, uh, and that's been a lot of fun very political and very silly in a lot of ways and really exciting I'd also um, love to write a third novella for Barrington Stoke to kind of complete the acts so I think of the two novellas as acts one and two so I'd like to do a third one in that trilogy uh, at some point and then I've also been working on um, an online murder mystery story that's told through blog posts that's kind of an interactive and you can click all the links and see the tweets and Tumblr posts. So that's all uh, been posted online this year and you can read the whole thing, but uh, we're working on turning it into a novel. So it's going to be kind of the blog posts as a condensed version alternating with prose chapters, but um, that will be out in 2022. So not for a while. And then I'm also working on a sequel to The Loneliest Girl in the Universe because I have too many projects at the minute <laughs> and I write too fast. <laughs> so I'm really excited about that, especially because you say uh, her isolation is currently so relevant to our lives. Uh, it's going to be really fun to 
having experienced that in real life to then try and carry on writing her character and see how she's grown up since we last saw her which is probably going to be four or five years ago so um yeah I'm lots to work on and I'm really enjoying it and I've actually enjoyed this year quite a lot because I've just been at home writing without interruptions <laughs> even though I've, I really miss events and seeing people like I've got a lot done <laughs> It does definitely sound like you made the most, you know, like people say like, you know, what have you done with, uh, you know, lockdown? Oh, I made some bread and stuff like that. Oh, I just wrote like three novels and got a couple more in the pipeline. Wowza. Okay. I really like the idea of the, the bloggy style murder mystery because one, I'm a sucker for a murder mystery, but two, again, I just love the, the way you've sort of interwoven our modern, I guess it's our modern speech patterns, you know, the sort of the way we're communicating now, like, you know, some of the other uh, novels have already highlighted I think that's kind of how are we going to be judging the future people are going to look at like Facebook in like 200 years time and wonder what the heck's going on exactly really, yeah really exciting though um wow I can't believe you got so many projects on the go can I just uh quickly touch upon uh Green Rising is that was that Barrington Stoke or is that someone else that's with Walker Books yeah that's oh, a full-length novel so that's in September 2021 there we go so lots of stuff to look forward to we've got two fresh new ones out right now with Barrington Stoke and then of course we've got a new one to look forward to lots of lovely stuff which we can sink our teeth into but uh, we have done all the sinking we can do in this episode so we are rapidly approaching the end but before we go we always offer you lovely listeners the chance of winning some freebies and today we have one heck of a bundle because we're not giving away one book no 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 we're giving away two books that's right we've talked about them the Starlight Watchmaker and the Deep Sea Duke, book one and two of that novella series. We're giving one lucky listener the chance of winning that. If you want to win it, how? I'll tell you. All you've got to do is head over to Twitter at Big Kids Book Club, one long lovely word. Find us, give us a tweet with a hashtag Duke Comp. That's Duke Comp, all one word. Now, obviously, uh, Dorian it brings uh, up his time-traveling watch, and that kind of is a, a nice little thing uh, with the first book. So we're going to use that as our sort of like our quiz question for this week. And so if you had a time-traveling uh, pocket watch, where or when would you go? Uh, Lauren, I'll come to you first. When would you like to go, if anywhere, future, back? Where would you like to go with time travel? I would definitely want to go and see the dinosaurs either like really far into the past or really really far into the future and see what's happened to earth but I think dinosaurs would be less depressing and more exciting so I'm gonna say dinosaurs <laughs> I, I yeah I do I, I think dinosaurs will be a cool one a bit of a sucker for, I must admit, I'm I'm kind of working on your second idea I think I'd love to go to the future and just see how how badly or how well <laughs> it turned out really um but really excitable. But if you want to be in a chance of winning it, like I said, head over to Twitter, find us at Big Kids Book Club, hashtag Duke Comp. Tell us where you would like to go time traveling to, and you could be in a chance of winning our book bundle. Sounds pretty good, Lauren. Yes, that sounds amazing. I'm definitely entering. <laughs> <laughs> Win your own books. Yes. <laughs> oh, well, fantastic. Well, this has been fantastic as well. Thank you so much for, for taking some time out of your very busy writing schedule. <laughs> Thank you for having us. me. <laughs> oh, it's been amazing. Now, before we let you leave, uh, how about you tell us where people can get in touch with you on social media or website, etc.? 
Yeah, so my main social media that I use is Instagram. That's a Lauren Eliz James. Uh, I also have Twitter, Lauren underscore E underscore James. And I'm on various other places as well, like Tumblr and YouTube and newsletters and, you know, everything on the internet these days. <laughs> okay, fantastic. And thanks to you, our, our lovely listeners, for sticking around. I hope you've enjoyed the episode. And until we catch up with you next time, take care, stay safe, and most importantly keep on reading.